you, sir. We're going to start off with a little bit of prayer, and we're going to dive into God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good. Heavenly Father, Lord, you say in scripture that your word is breathing. Lord, that it's your breath into this world. Lord, so as we take not just today, but this, this coming year, and in fact, our coming lifetime, to dig deeper into your word, to find new tools and new ways to engage the story of a God who loves us so much that he would come in person to save us. Lord, I, I pray that you open our eyes to see the wonder and the joy of that deeper and deeper. And all God's kids said, amen. So we are in the year of BYOB. Oh, sweet, would you mind asking me that? So one thing you will learn about me is I leave stuff everywhere. Uh, AJ, the entire staff, we lost this for an entire week because I couldn't find it on the computer set. Um, so, uh, year of BYOB. And as I mentioned, we're going to be encouraging you guys not only to bring a physical Bible, but to write in your Bible, to, to take notes in your Bible. And I know for some of you, that may seem a little sacrilegious. Uh, and I, I understand that. I also had that growing up a little bit, where the Bible is something holy, right? And so I want to treat it holy. So how would I dare mark it up? But what would that do? And so I'm going to tell you a story that's a true story uh, that I'm not saying you should model your life after, but after this, you will know no matter what you do, you're still going to be okay, all right? You won't be able to screw it up because I promise after this story. All right, I was a senior in high school, and we went to a Promise Keepers convention in Nashville. Anyone old enough to remember Promise Keepers? All right, Promise Keepers was a men's conference that was uh, really designed to help men just be more godly men, better fathers, better sons. And so our youth group took about six or seven of us to Nashville to this conference. And it was this big stadium. And we were at the top row, and we were literally overhanging. And we could see the entire stadium behind us. And not only do I lose physical objects a lot, I also have to always do something with my hands. And so they had given us this convention handbook. And it was great. And it had, like, advertisements in it. It had some devotional thoughts in it. It was kind of like the, 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 the conference's plan. And so we're there, and we're waiting for the conference to start, and I decide I'm going to make a paper airplane. I love making paper airplanes. So I grab this book, rip out a page, make this paper airplane, and I send it sailing. And I kid you not, it made it all the way down to the conference. This is the best paper airplane I have ever made in my entire life. We all just watched in awe as this thing sailed down to the conference stage. And the guys are all like, that was awesome. But Dan Curley looks at me, and he goes, Josh? Like, yeah. He's like, do you see what you just did? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you made a paper airplane out of the book of John. And I looked down, and the back half of that conference was the New Testament. And I had ripped a page out of the New Testament and made a paper airplane out of it. And I was aghast. For the next three or four days, I was literally like, I'm pretty sure I just disqualified myself from going to heaven. Right? Like, I made a paper airplane out of the Bible. There is nothing that you can do that's worse than that. And, and my youth pastor eventually sat me down, and he told me some really important words about the Bible, and, and I hope this helps you if you've got a little bit of hesitation about writing in your Bible. He said, Josh, God didn't die for ink and paper. No matter how long that ink and paper has been there, no, no matter how long of a Bible you've had, God didn't die for that. He died for you. He, he died for people. And what he wants you to do from this book is to know him better. And so, yeah, don't, don't make paper airplanes out of the Bible. Don't have that be your takeaway, kids, or adults, right? But at the same time, use it. Write in it. Whatever helps you get deeper, remember what God is telling you as we encounter his words. Do that 
together. And that's what we are hoping to see happen throughout this entire year, but really the lifetime of this church. And again, we've got a couple of the Bibles that are out front. If you want to see for yourself the ones that we're going to be using, if you bring your own, that's fine too. Uh, if you look in the current, there's Amazon links. They can be at your house in 24 hours. I think they're $25 a pop. If you're like, Josh, I hate Amazon or I don't understand the computers, you can buy them up front. But we do want to keep some of them uh, for folks who can't afford them or for guests that when they arrive as well. But we're going to dive into God's Word uh, as we look at Jesus' dysfunctional family tree. But before we start getting into the Bible, we've got to do a little bit of homework first. I think this is going to work. Woohoo! We've got to talk about two words exegesis and hermeneutics. Because while there are a lot of different ways to read your Bible, to explore your Bible, there are a couple of postures that when we start, we can start in the wrong spot. My human nature would love it if Scripture was built around whatever I needed in a given moment. I could just open the book and magically arrive to like, okay, God, right now, you want me to know, oh gosh, Ecclesiastes, this is going to be scary. Um, 21, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they have to another who is not told, I don't want that to be my Bible verse right now, right? That, that's not how scripture works. Instead, if you want to know what God's word is trying to tell you, there's two things we need to do first. First is exegesis. And exegesis is the understanding is the belief that God said something originally to people. So understanding what the Bible originally was saying to the original audience in the original genre that it was. Once we understand what the Bible was originally saying, then we can figure out the hermeneutics. What does that mean for my life? How do I apply this to my life? And when we do that, all of a sudden, we're not the center of God's story which is a good thing. In fact, what we're going to find out is when we try to put ourselves at the center of the story, like Adam and Eve do, that's where literal hell comes into the picture. Right? So exegesis and hermeneutics. So how do we do good exegesis? Well, again, there's a lot of different ways, but what we're going to be using a lot are three questions. First question, how does God protect and provide for his people? So that's starting with, okay, what is God doing in this story? And how is God protecting and providing for his people? The second question, what are the consequences of mankind's sin and rebellion? So when mankind decides we're going to go our own way, what are the consequences to that? And then lastly, what does God ask of his people? And what is God asking of me? Okay, these are not the only three questions, but they're three good questions that will help us understand what God is doing through Scripture. Now, if only there was a place that someone had written those questions down to help us. Oh, we do. You guys may or may not have seen these, but these are how to read your Bible bookmarks. Our church came up with these probably two, no, three years ago. It was pre-COVID. And what we wanted to do was provide our church a resource to help them read through Scripture. And so not only does it have those three questions on there, but on the backside, it has all the different genres of Scripture. Because narrative genre is different than wisdom literature, which is different than the Gospels, which is different than the epistles. And this isn't the end-all, be-all resource, but it is a resource to help us remember what we're doing. And so if you want one of these bookmarks, we got those out on the stand out front. But they're a great, simple way to kind of help frame ourselves and what is the story of Jesus? And, and what are questions that we can use to better engage with Scripture? All right, so with that out of the way... Let's get into Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 1 starts off, page number 1, 
And it says, on the sixth day, this is verse... So I'm learning a new trick, by the way. I'm going to be helping you do this, which means Pastor Josh has to learn something new. So we're all going to do it together. Uh, so, and God saw, so this is verse 31, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, there was six days. If you want in your Bibles, you can underline, and it was very good. Why is this important? Because it frames God's original purpose for the world. God wanted things to be very good. You go through Genesis chapter 1, and he's creating everything, right? So he's creating the stars, and he's creating plants, and he's creating wildlife. And he's like, that's awesome, and that's awesome, and that's awesome. And then he creates humanity, and he says, and that's very awesome. That, that was our God's original plan for what he was trying to do with humanity, but he didn't want to just create a world. He didn't just want to create a playground. He wanted to create people with relationships. And that's what our Bible reading was all about with Adam and with Eve. God creates man, creates Adam, but we're alone. We're by ourselves. And he realizes, ah, there's something missing here. And so we have this in Scripture, verses 15 and following. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of good and evil, for then when you eat it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called the creature, that was his name. My wife would love this. This was literally like if you're an animal lover, like all the animals coming to you, right? Lions and tigers and elephants, right? All of them coming out. But again, there's a problem. So the man gave all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals' names. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And when he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed it up in place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for, I, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In my Bible, I actually have underlined, they felt no shame. This is huge, right? So, like, high school Josh was like, tee-hee, tee-hee, they're naked, right? But that's not the point. The point here is that the first gift God gives is companionship. And if you see right here, this note right here is if you want to take a note in your Bible, this would be a good one to take. Literally the first gift God gives us is companionship, right? He creates the entire world, and he says, it's not good for you. It's the first time God says something isn't good, that we're not called to be alone, right? And in that alone, we feel no shame. Why is this such a big deal? Again, a note you can take. Because we felt no shame because we were able to be fully seen. You see, shame comes from us realizing there's something wrong with us. And Adam and Eve, at this point, they hadn't been corrupted yet. Sin hadn't entered the picture, so they were able to be fully seen. 
I think all of us want to be fully seen. We're just terrified of it. Because right? if you knew everything about me, you would realize that me ripping out a page of the Bible is not the top ten of what Josh has done wrong. And if I knew everything about you, I would love to say I would have zero. No, we live in a broken world. But here, when God created things to be very good, they were able to be fully seen, in full relationship, on full display, not hiding anything from anyone. That's a very good thing. That's, that's a powerful thing. That's what marriages strive for. That's what friendships strive for. But what we're going to see is that as soon as sin enters the picture, as soon as there's a consequence for mankind's rebellion, th things break up. But again, when we're asking this question, how does God protect and provide for his people, he sets up not just a beautiful playground. He gives us playmates. He gives us people that we get to walk with and love and, and care for. And in God's good creation, before our rebellion gets in the way, we're able to be fully real with people. On full display, in full relationship. That's why God's able to say this is going to be very good. How does God provide and protect for his people? He literally creates the universe. For us, his kids. Because he loves us and he loves you. That's the heart of who our God is and what our God is doing. All right. But unfortunately, that is not the end of the story. Continuing on, Genesis chapter 3, 1 and following. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now already, right, Satan's, Satan's lying. Right? He sets it up. D did God say you can't eat anything? That'd be horrible. What kind of God would do that? That's not what God said. And Eve at least is able to originally say, no, 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 that's not what God said. The woman said to the serpent, no, no, we may eat from trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's a note. Our first sin was we wanted to be the God of our own lives. That, that's really the heart of all sin, just so you know. It's why the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is so important. Because all sin comes from us saying, you know what, I know that there's a God of the universe, but I've got a better idea. I know God says, be patient, but this person just won't turn out in front of me. I know God says, forgive, but my spouse did X, Y, and Z again. I'm just done with it. I, I know God says, love your neighbor as yourself, but you know what? Today, I'd rather just click next episode on Netflix. When we create ourselves as God, when we say, no, I'd rather do that, that's when sin comes in, and that's where literal hell breaks into the story in our lives and certainly in the lives of Adam and of Eve. Continuing on. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and made them coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord cried out and says, Man, where are you? Sin makes us hide our true selves. Because we feel shame, right? That, that's how Genesis chapter 2 ends. They were naked and they felt no shame. They were able to be fully seen. As soon as we allow sin to enter into the picture, shame starts to rise up. We realize something's wrong with us. And, and y'all, something is wrong with us. I would love to be able to tell you, no, 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 it's just your feelings. Or it's just how the world makes you feel. No, all of us are broken. All of us are from the island of misfit toys. And we find ways to turn ourselves into God, and we bring a little bit of hell into this world. That, that's where Adam and Eve were at. And so the story goes on. He, being the Lord, or Adam, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, now the Lord, says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat. All right, this is the first opportunity for God to, to give them an out. Well, not an out, to explain themselves. Story goes on. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. <laughs> I love this. I love it so much. Uh, then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? Right? Immediately, it's the blame game. Right? And that's literally what ends up happening. Not it, not it, not it. Right? And it eventually, right, and Adam, he does a twofer. Right? He's like, it wasn't me, it was her, and you gave her to me. Right? So we take something good, we muck it up, and, and then we blame God. Or blame anyone else. This is the first marital spout. Right? We made it to chapter 3. I wonder why the rest of us have such a hard time. Right? But that, 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 that's the reality of what happens and then we get the curses. So the Lord said to the woman, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You crawl on your belly, you eat from the dust of it all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a verse to underline, underline, underline. And I didn't check with AJ about this, and I apologize. AJ, do you have a symbol for Jesus? Do you, no? That's where we go. Sweet, we're on the same page. I like it. So if you have not been to one of our Bible studies, AJ does a fantastic job diving deeper into Scripture. AJ really likes to use symbols. And symbols is a way that you can put in your Bible to help you remember. And for here, the symbol that I literally have written in my Scripture is a cross. Because this is the first promise of Jesus that the woman will have a descendant who will crush the head of the serpent. And you see this throughout Scripture, that God had promised that even though humanity had screwed it up, that God wasn't done with us yet. Even though humanity had brought hell to earth, God was going to bring heaven to earth. And that promise starts literally after we throw our worst at God. He promises that he's going to send his best to us. 
And then we finish out the curses. And to the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful label, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. So already we're starting to see not only physical pain, but relational turmoil. You and your husband, you're going to battle it out. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. What are the consequences of our sin and rebellion? Well, according to Genesis, death. According to Genesis, broken relationships, physical pain, work being work and not a joy, not something we get to steward, but actually being challenging and and actually beats our bodies down. God protected and provided for his people by creating this beautiful garden. All of creation that we could steward, that we would have open companionship, that we could be fully seen, and then our sin shows up, our rebellion shows up, and hell enters the story. Separation from everything, from the world, from the physical world, starts to rebel against us. Our relationships get complicated, and our relationships with God get complicated as well. Because going our own way wrecks havoc on God's plan for things to be very good. And that that's it always. Exegesis. That's what God was saying. That was the consequence. Hermeneutics. What does that mean for me? Well, when I decide I'm going to go my own way with whatever aspect of life that I'm dealing with, my time, my money, my family, my weekends, my work day. It wrecks havoc on the very good things our God is trying to do. And if that was the end of the story, this would be a rather dour sermon. But I have good news for you. The story does not end in Genesis chapter 3. Instead, all of Scripture then goes on to walk through what are God's good plans for his people. Finishing off Genesis 3, And Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. Then the Lord made garments for the skin of Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and therefore live forever. The reason why that's so important, the reason why that's in there, is because if we ate from the tree of eternity before God fixed us, we would be eternally separated from him. And what we're going to see in Jesus is the only way that all of us get through him or get back to him is through death and resurrection of Christ. The old man was going to have to die. So if we ate from that tree of eternity too soon, we'd be eternally separated, and God wants us to be connected back into him. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work from the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out 
And he placed on the east side of the garden a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Right? Again, a note. The reason why it's such a big deal that God drives us out is because he wanted us to be reconnected to him. He didn't want us to be marred by that shame for eternity. He had a plan to fix the shame. So so what is God asking of his people and what is he asking of us? To trust in that promise. And for Adam and Eve, it was literally just the seed of the promise. But but for us, we, we know a little bit more. So much so, in your Bibles, you may actually want to write Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Because what happens here is Paul writes to the New Testament church post-Jesus. And he explains what God's plan was and how God's plan work from Adam, where all of us became the island of misfit choice, to Jesus, to something new. And I, I want to read this to you because this is where our hope is going to be and this is what God is asking of us. So if you've got your physical Bibles, run over to uh, Romans chapter 5. Uh, if, you've, if you have already bought one that the church has gotten, it's got the page number up there for you. But I want to read this to you, this promise from God. Romans chapter 5, 12 and following. Therefore, just as sin entered through one man, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account who has, there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to Moses, even those who did not sin by breaking a command, so he's talking about the Ten Commandments, as Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So what essentially what Paul is saying is, y'all, through uh, Adam, all of us got infected with sin. And we all know that. We experience that. We experience that in our marriages, with our kids, with our coworkers, with fellow students. The world is, is, is mucked up, right? So yeah, sin came through Adam, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came from the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification or right relationship. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, talking about Adam here, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of the righteousness reign in the life of the one man who is Christ Jesus. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification in the life of all people. The promise is not like the condemnation. Yeah, Adam screwed it up, and just newsflash, if it would have been Pastor Josh in the garden, I would have messed it up too. And so would have you, right? As much as I would love to just blame, okay, so Adam and Eve, we have our fall people. Right? That, that's not it. it. It's humanity's problem. But the gift, the promise, what God is asking of his people is to trust in the one he sent to fix it. 
And Paul writes to the early church and says, just as all fell short through Adam, all can be redeemed, all can be made righteous in right relationship with God through Christ. We have a God who shows up. We have a God who continually provides and protects for his people in the Old Testament and the New. And so as we spend this year going through Scripture, diving deep in the lineage of Jesus, and y'all, they really put the fun in dysfunctional. I promise no matter what your family is going through, Jesus' family has a beat. And yet God still used them, and God can still use you, and God can still use me. And that is good news, not just for me, but for you and for a world that is also putting the fun in dysfunctional. And yet, the gift is not like the trespass. And our God is so much bigger than our brokenness. And that is good news, and that is what we are excited to celebrate this year. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to do some worship. We're going to pray a little bit. And then we're going to celebrate communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, It's humbling to realize um, just the depth of how sin breaks things. Lord, and so we confess to you now where we have seen sin break things in our own lives, where our own actions, our own anger, our own going our own way, being our little G God has hurt people we love, has hurt our relationship with you, has hurt the world around us. But Lord, we are bold to confess, we are bold to be honest because we know you don't want us to feel shame, but instead you want us to feel the grace and the power of your love, Lord, that forgives and fights for us as your people. Lord, we lift up 2023 to you and beyond. Lord, that we would be better stewards of your active breath of the word of God. I hope you say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. You worship.